0: turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah beginning in chapter 52 as we continue our study through the Word. We saw last time how God comforted the Zion, that that God's people were being chastised for their sin. They had fallen deeply into idolatry they had stopped uh, keeping the true and the living god as their as their heart's desire and they started to fashion idols made out of wood and stone and graven images they they were following after the practices uh, of the pagans and and God had warned and warned and warned and and finally there was a chastisement that came about The Babylonians were going to come and to bring them into captivity for a period of 70 years. But at the end of that 70-year period, they were going to be allowed to return back to their land once again. And even though the nation has not even gone into captivity yet, God is ministering to the despair that will set in that feeling that God has cast us off, that he is angry with us, uh, and that we will no longer be the recipients of, of his love. And, and we see that God says, no, that's not true. I haven't issued you a decree of divorce. You're the ones that departed from me in your heart, but my heart towards you will never change. The unfailing love of God towards us. The, the grace and the mercy of God. When we blow it, when we sin, when we fall down and fall away from, from the things that we know that we're supposed to be doing, when our conscience convicts us, it's the enemy that's there quick to condemn us and to tell us that God doesn't love you anymore and that you should just quit and give up and God has forsaken you. But the truth is that, is that God never quits on us, that God will never forsake us. God will never turn his back on us. And yes, we will go through times of, of difficulty. Sometimes they are corrections uh, that are meant to bring about a change in our, in our attitudes and in our actions, to, to shift our priorities, to, to keep God first uh, in our life. You see, God loves us so much that he's not willing to let our relationship with him stay the way that it is or or fall back without a move by God to draw us near. Sometimes it is through loving kindness and and, and the mercy of of God. And and other times it is through a, a correction, a discomfort that that God will send our way in order to wake us up, get our attention so that we what? So that we course correct and that we start to head back towards God. God is jealous for you and God cares about his relationship with you. And and Jesus, when he was asked, what's the single most important command of their all? is love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. That's the first commandment. That's the most important thing in our life to navigate our life constantly relative to our relationship with God, that everything else is secondary and that our relationship with God is the most important. When we lose focus of that, and it is easy to do, we have a loving, gentle, merciful God that that will help us to continue to keep him first and to keep this relationship first in our lives. And so we we saw last time how God affirmed his love for the nation that He had not cast them apart. He had not divorced them and and that there is a future and a hope and that the Messiah is going to ultimately come through the nation of Israel. We see as we move into these chapters here that redemption once again is going to be the topic. How how God's people are going to be redeemed out of Babylon, and and not to give up hope, and and then <laughs> we are going to see in the end of this 52nd chapter and into the 53rd chapter one of the greatest portraits of Jesus Christ that that we have in the scriptures, and and the level of detail that we have is just. Absolutely astounding. And so we have tremendous scripture that is in front of us here this evening. Let's begin now in verse 1 of chapter 52, the book of Isaiah. And it says, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. We see that the call is given to Zion to to wake up, wake up and and now Put on your beautiful garments, clothe yourself uh, now in honor and dignity, the honor and dignity that is provided by the Lord. And and now he speaks of the future hope of of the city of Jerusalem, O Jerusalem. Uh, the holy city for the uncircumcised and the unclean are uh, shall no longer come to you. Here we we see that the uncircumcised are are the Gentiles, those who live in the flesh instead of the the spirit and. And we see that, uh, that there is no doubt that this refers to the time when the Messiah is going to establish the millennial reign here upon earth. And he will rule and reign in righteousness from Jerusalem. And how glorious that is going to be when the city of Jerusalem is exalted before the whole world as, as the seat of Messiah's governance uh, over the whole world. He says, put on your beautiful garments here. And, and we see that this is also an instruction to each and every one of us to put on our beautiful garments. Now what are our beautiful garments? Well, our beautiful garments are the righteousness uh, of uh, in Christ and and you remember that the Bible teaches us that the works of uh, the of the flesh that that are works they are as filthy rags. But that the garment that God provides us is the righteousness uh, of Jesus Christ. And and so clothe yourself in the righteousness uh, of uh, Christ. He says in verse two, to shake yourself from the dust and arise. It says, Sit down, O Jerusalem, and loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion, to shake off dust, shake off the dust and arise, we see that this means to stop mourning. When you would mourn, you would take dust and you would throw it onto your head. And this was a a sign of great sorrow and great mourning. They had been mourning there in Babylon they had lost their nation. They had lost uh, their place of worship. They had lost their way of life. But now God was going to restore all of that back to them, and and so we see this shaking off of the the dust, shake off your your mourning and your sorrow, and and it says, and and sit down, O Jerusalem, loose yourself from the bonds of your neck oh captive daughter of zion and and so the 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 bonds from their neck was their captivity they're in babylon god is going to break the bonds and now what do they have to do just shake it off and now be delivered god would lead them out of babylon and bring them back into their own land once again for thus says the lord you have sold yourself for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. We see that they had gone into captivity, but the Babylonians, when they came, they didn't purchase the, 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 the bride of God here. We see they didn't purchase God's uh, people. They were taken in battle, and they're not going to be purchased back uh, once again with money they will regain their freedom when babylon falls and and so here also you are redeemed but without money they were redeemed by the deliverance that god provided for them in the same way that we were redeemed from our sin but we weren't redeemed from our sin through a purchase price of uh, of coins of dollars your salvation wasn't purchased in gold or silver or uh, or precious stones but your deliverance your redemption my redemption was purchased in the shed blood of Jesus Christ what can wash away my sins uh, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so here again we see that the nation is going to be redeemed, but not by a sum of money are they going to win their freedom. In verse 4 it says, For thus says the Lord God, My people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there, and then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. The first time that they went into Egypt, you will remember that that was a voluntary act. They went to find food uh, for their family, and so they sojourned and they ended up uh, there in Egypt. And and so this was the first bondage that they had. Then the Assyrians oppressed them without cause. This is a reference to the ten northern tribes being taken into captivity by. By the Assyrians in verse 5 but now therefore what have I here says the Lord that my people are taken away for nothing and those who rule over them make them wail and says the Lord and my name is blasphemed continually every day so here we see that, that this captivity is, is different than the captivity that they voluntarily went into in, in Egypt or different than the Assyrians now who took and dispersed them. But the Babylonians had come and, and conquered them, destroyed Jerusalem and, and brought them to Babylon as a people. And, and here we see that they were cruel to the captive israelites and and he says and my name is blasphemed continually every day so god's people had forsaken god and and they were now suffering the consequences and and now as they had forsaken the ways uh, of the lord they are now being blasphemed you see Back in those days, if, if a nation captured another nation, they felt that their gods were greater than, than the gods of that nation. So here is the true and the living God allowing his people to become captives to Babylon. And here are the, the Babylonians now believing that, that their gods are greater than the true and the living God. And so every day, that they were in captivity, this was a, a continual blaspheming of the true and the, the living God. He says in verse 6, Therefore my people shall know my name, and therefore they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. And so they shall know in that day. What is that? That's the day of the Lord. That is when Israel is going to experience deliverance from their worldwide dispersion. The nation of Israel will recognize now the fulfillment of the prophecies and and so they will enjoy the the full assurance that the Lord has spoken and fulfilled his promises of deliverance. It says that they will look upon him whom they pierce and they will mourn as of the only begotten, as a son, an only begotten son. And, and so it says that there is going to, to be a day in that day. That there is going to come an illumination. They had missed the Messiah when he came the first time. But when he comes the second time, they they will not miss him. And therefore, they shall know in that day that the one who speaks, behold, it is uh, I am. the, The I am. This connects back to to Exodus, uh, where Moses says, what is your name that I can tell the, the Pharaoh, the, who sent me? And he, he says, you know, the, I am has sent you. And, and hear that they will know that I am the great, and I am. In verse 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. And so the messengers are going to travel back and forth on the mountains of Jerusalem, spreading the good news of the return of the redeemed of uh, Israel back to the land here when the Babylonians now are defeated by the Persians, the Medo-Persians under Cyrus, and Cyrus now lets them return. That How beautiful are the feet uh, of those who will run throughout the mountainsides telling them that, uh, that God's people are coming back to, uh, back to Israel. Back to Jerusalem back to the place of God's presence. And, and we see that the Apostle Paul kind of broadens this into the millennial reverence reference now to the preaching of the gospel that is going to include the spreading of the gospel of God and the grace of our Lord and Savior throughout the, the whole world. And, and so... How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet uh, of Him who proclaims, who brings uh, good news. You'll remember in Ephesians chapter 6 when Paul is talking about putting on the full armor of God and he, he talks about being girded around your waist with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. But... He says, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of mm, peace. Uh, The feet, how beautiful they are that bring good news of salvation, of deliverance and of mm, peace. What a, a glorious message the gospel is that God is inviting us uh, into peace, that God is inviting us uh, into his kingdom, and that God has redeemed us out of our sin and out of our iniquity. And now we are being invited to come into and enter into eternal life. How glorious is is that good news and the feet of of those who bring that good news to to others when i think of encouragement and how good encouragement is for a a, a person's soul there is nothing more encouraging to me though than the fact that <coughs> that god wants a relationship with us for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomever would believe on him would have everlasting life. God so loves us and God has extended an olive branch to each and every one of us. How glorious that is, that it is by invitation, just the simple invitation of God, that there are No great feats, no great deeds, no purchase price. There is no amount of works. There there is nothing. There is just the invitation from God. I have a place for you. It's already been paid for. You just have to come and put on the righteous robe of Christ and enter into eternal life. How glorious that good news that we have to proclaim to a lost and dying world. And, and so, here in verse 8, "...your watchmen shall lift up their voices, and with their voices they shall sing together, for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion." And so hear the joy now that he speaks about when the watchmen aren't going to see them from a great distance, but they're going to come up eye to eye, face to face. They, the captives will now be returning. And, and what is the response? Verse 9, break forth into joy, sing together. You waste places of Jerusalem when Babylon had captured them. They burned the city and destroyed the temple. The waste places now, what had been a, a beautiful house of worship, what, what had once been a, a place of prayer and worship, now Waste places destroyed. But here he says you break forth into joy and sing together. You waste places of Jerusalem for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. And the Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. We And see that it says that the Lord has made bare His holy arm. In other words, it is through His might that He is going to bring them back. They are not going to, through a a, a tremendous combat military maneuver, when the the, the Medo-Persians are battling with the Babylonians, come in and suddenly secure their freedom. No, God is going to do it. Completely, totally, absolutely. In the same way that the children of Israel came out of Egypt and, and God sent Moses in and God brings the people out. So also God is going to simply bring his people back out of captivity. He had sent them into captivity. He had allowed the Babylonians to chastise them, but now their chastisement was done. And God now with his bare right arm, his strength, he will just bring his people and, and place them back in, into their land. And so uh, the Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. And, and so here we see once again that, that the true power and authority of God is going to be made manifest uh, here through them being placed back into their land again. And, and this is now kind of a, uh, a, a, a picture of, also of the salvation through Christ that is now going to be offered to the whole world, the eyes of all the nations. Depart. Depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her and be clean, you who bear the vessels uh, of the Lord. So we see the remnant that is in Babylon is now exhorted to depart uh, and to get away from that evil place where they had been living and so depart and come out and and we see that this this going out here is reference to Babylon but Babylon is a type of the world now and this deliverance out of the world and that we are to separate ourselves from uh, from what is unclean God Wants his people to be holy. God wants you to be whole, and he wants me to be holy. He says, verse 12 For you shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Now, He says that you will not go out with a haste. You will remember that the Passover, that they departed in haste, that unleavened bread. They didn't even have time for the the bread to rise. And so there was this rapid departure out of Egypt. But we see that in this situation, the, the command to go forth and to rebuild is going to be done by decree. And so there is not this uh, immediacy, this hurry. You're not going to go by flight. You're not going to go with haste but God is going to go before you and God is going to go behind you. He will be your foreguard and your rear guard. And, and so this deliverance, uh, we see the, the details that Isaiah is placing in them hundreds of years before these events come to pass. But Far off in the future, much greater than hundreds uh, of years, is now going to be the coming of the Messiah. And so we see here that beginning now in this next uh, section, it, it is going to, to give us such incredible messianic prophecies and scriptures that, that Jesus uh, fulfills. The, the de- details are, are so minute that no human could have predicted them by accident and and, and nobody could have ever possibly uh, fulfilled them except <clears throat> other than the true and and the living Lord Jesus Christ. We we see here that uh, that now this verses uh, stand as the introduction to the prophecy of the suffering servant which we're going to find in this next chapter chapter 53 Uh, and so the the culmination of all of isaiah's messianic prophecies uh, come together we see that this is a summary and a preview of the exaltation of the Lord, but also of His suffering, of His glory, but also of His crucifixion, of His eternal kingdom and of Him being cut off. And so all of this comes together in this magnificent portrait of Christ that we have before us. We see in verse 13, it begins, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently, And he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high, just as many were astonished at you. So his visage was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons uh, of men. And so here it begins. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. In other words, there will be great wisdom surrounding him and he shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Extolled means to be lifted up. He is going to be exalted above all else at the name of Jesus. That every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the King of kings and He is the Prince of Peace. And and so He will be exalted above all and His name will be exalted above all. But, also, at the same time, in contrast, it, it says that many are going to be astonished uh, at you that his visage uh, was marred more than any man. So a visage is a person's face. It means that his face is going to be marred, that it is going to, to be beaten to the point where, uh, where now his appearance was so awful that people looked away from him in astonishment you remember that they that they covered jesus's head and then they struck him and beat him and they said prophesy who who just struck you and so the the beating that jesus took when you are not prepared for an impact for a blow but you just take these blows unprotected And so the swelling of jesus's face the the marring of his visage uh, now and and not just it's his face but it said in in his form more than the sons of men not just his face but his body as well the beating that jesus took The scourging, the Roman scourge before his crucifixion. In verse 15 it says, And so shall he sprinkle many nations, and kings shall shut their mouths uh, at him. For what had not been told them they shall see, and what they had not heard they shall consider. The great kings of the earth, they... They had not heard of God's great love for mankind. And his love was so great that, <laughs> that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal or everlasting life. Chapter 53, verse 1. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed we see here that that in john's gospel john uses this also now and quotes this verse for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground he has no form or comeliness and when we see him there is no beauty that we should desire Notice that it says that he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. We see that Messiah comes through the succession of David, through the lineage of David. And the Davidic line had been cut off, but, but God had given a, a promise to David and to Solomon uh, that uh, through him, through his descendants uh, now, that the King of Kings would, would be the one now, the Messiah that would be born. In Isaiah chapter 9, you'll remember, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever in the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And so we see that that the Messiah is going to come, but he is going to come from the throne of David through the lineage of David and and so as a root out of dry ground the uh, the davidic kingdom had been cut off but yet the the messianic line comes through uh, this root of David it says that he will have no form or comeliness it means that Jesus was uh, not this extraordinarily handsome man It is so interesting to me the humility of Christ. God could have placed Christ in any body but the body that he gives him is is not one of Adonis. It is not a, a GQ a uh, the the most exalted uh, form of of a man it says that he was a common man he puts him into a, a common vessel Christ's body that uh, that he wrapped uh, his glory in his veil the, the God's glory in humanity fully God and fully man, that that he chooses now uh, a normal, everyday body that that no one is going to to look twice at and so once again just the the humility of christ if if we could choose whatever body that that we were going to live in what body would you have chosen what kind of looks would you have chosen? What kind of hair would you have given yourself? How tall would you have been? How broad would you have been? How, how would you have looked? What, what would you have chosen? And here we see that, that, that God incarnate was placed in just a, a brown paper manila body, that nobody would even look twice at i think of how much value we find in our in our looks how much our culture esteems the the trappings uh, of uh, our appearance and how much effort we put into our appearance and and yet we see that god could have given himself any body that he wanted and And instead of something spectacular, he just chose the everyday. There is no beauty that we should desire him. In verse 3, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we... Did not esteem him. <clears throat> Here we see that that Christ, in his earthly ministry, he experienced the full gamut of human emotion, fully God and fully man. And he doesn't come raised in, in a palace with servants and the finest things that, that this world had to offer. He wasn't made comfortable with the greatest of luxuries and, and, and the most delicious of delicacies. Uh, we see that the exact opposite is true. Born in a, a barn, in a manger. We see that he is raised with a, a, a reputation <laughs> that he was born out of uh, wedlock. We see that there was uh, nothing exceptional about his uh, looks and, and that he experienced all the, the human emotions. He was rejected and a man of sorrows and acquainted with uh, grief. And, and we see that That in Hebrews chapter 4, talking about this, it says that Jesus is our high priest. And and he is not a high priest that can't understand us. But we have a high priest that completely understands uh, us. Uh, It says, "For, for he sympathizes with our weakness and in all points was tempted as we are yet without sin. And what does that do? That gives us confidence, it says, to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When you feel like nobody understands you, Jesus understands you. Jesus understands you. When you feel all alone, you are never alone. God loves you. God is with you. And Jesus experienced the... The fullness. Have you been rejected? Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected. Have you suffered at being mocked and teased and put down? Jesus was mocked and teased and and put down. Have you ever been betrayed by someone that you trusted? Jesus was betrayed by someone that he trusted. We see the fullness of the scope of the life of Jesus' ministry. We, We see that it wasn't just all of the wonderful aspects of life, all of the positive emotions, but Jesus experienced the fullness of the negative emotions as well. So when... When you have this portrait of this Messiah, he, the, the Jews kind of thought that he was just this, this incredible conqueror, this mighty warrior, this, the, this uh, amazing deliverer. He is all of those things, but, but he is also this humble, suffering servant. He was a, a man of sorrows who was acquainted with, with grief. And surely, verse 4, He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him, stricken, smitten by God and and afflicted. Jesus took our sins upon Himself there at the cross. And He was smitten by God when He drinks the dregs of the sins of humanity upon Himself. And and He cries out, My God, my God, God, why have you forsaken me? He feels that the tearing of the intimacy and the fellowship with the Father there upon the the cross, he was smitten by God. Sin was judged and Jesus experienced the fullness of the judgment of sin upon himself. Your sin and my sin. But he was wounded for our transgressions. Verse 5. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisements for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. What separates us from God is sin. And our sin needed to be removed from us, but it couldn't just be removed. It had to be removed and it had to be judged the price justice required that there be the judgment of our sin and and Christ said i will take your sin upon myself and i will suffer the judgment for that sin it wasn't as if the sin was just taken off of us and then shuffled off over to the side there wouldn't be a justice in that you see all sin needs to be reconciled or it needs to be judged to, and so we see that a person is either going to experience the, the judgment for their own sins or we are going to celebrate in the judgment of our sins that Jesus bore. But Jesus bore that judgment. It says in verse 6, And we like sheep have gone astray and we have turned everyone. one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Who has gone astray? All of us have gone astray. The Bible tells us there's none righteous, no, not one. And and so here each and every one of us, we have sinned, we have soiled our soul. And yet it was Jesus Christ who came now and, and took our sin upon himself. And he went and paid the penalty there at the cross. He was oppressed, verse 7, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth as he he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. You remember that Jesus doesn't make a defense. You will remember that when Herod... uh, has Jesus in front of him and cross-examines him and asks him questions and wants to see a a sign, wants to see the power of God, wants to be amused by Christ that Christ doesn't open his mouth. Silent as a lamb before its shears you remember that Pilate asks Jesus a question. Jesus doesn't answer him. And Pilate says, don't you understand that I have the the power over you? Do you not answer me? And do you recognize the power that I have? And Jesus said, you would have no power at all except my Father had given you that. Jesus made no defense for himself. He opened not his mouth. In verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken and and so Jesus uh, was arrested, taken into custody. They threw him in the prison, and then they brought him before the the Sanhedrin, before Herod, before Pilate. We see here that he was taken from prison and from judgment. And it says that he was cut off from the land of the living. We see that being cut off, we see in two aspects to be cut off means that you don't have any descendants there were no physical descendants of uh, Jesus Christ he was mm, cut off he was mm, killed and and being cut off from the living means that uh, that he was executed that he died and here it says that he died for the transgressions of my people that he was stricken In verse 9, And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. What an amazing prophecy here that he was crucified. Uh, They made his grave with the wicked. In other words, he was crucified between two criminals. But yet, He was buried uh, uh, with the rich. He was with the rich at his death. You will remember that Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea take Jesus' body down and they lay it in Joseph's tomb that had never yet been used, but a beautiful tomb that had been hewn out. We see that he was with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit uh, in his mouth. You will remember the two thieves. And the one says, why do you mock him? We are dying for what we have rightly done. But he has done nothing wrong. An innocent man put to death. And yet, verse 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him that this was part of the plan of redemption that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. But a lamb, a Passover lamb was was slaughtered. And Jesus wouldn't suffer that sacrificial death. The just dying in the place of the unjust, substitutionary, Atonement. yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, to fulfill his plan. He has put him to grief. And when you make his soul an offering for sin, and he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He will see the labor of his soul, verse 11, and be satisfied. By his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many and he shall bear their iniquities. We see that Jesus' suffering which included uh, death on the cross led to life, to the resurrection. And we see now that that substitutionary work was completed. You will remember that Jesus Christ, it is finished totalistai, paid in full. And now mm, he can mm, justify many, declare righteous those who mm, believe. In verse 12, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Having willingly followed God's uh, plan for redemption, we see that Messiah is exalted. To have a portion and divide the spoils, pictures a, a general after winning a battle, sharing the goods taken now from the, uh, the enemy. And so the, the glorious victory that Jesus uh, won for us at the cross. In the same way that it was by His bare arm that He brings the children of Israel back out of bondage from Babylon. It is by His bare arm that He took us uh, out of our sins and, and paid the price for, uh, for our salvation. How glorious, how amazing that Jesus Christ the Messiah, the King of kings and the Lord of lords would have humbled himself as a servant and gone to the cross to pay for my sins, to pay for your sins. And he stepped out of that in grave in resurrection, glory, and power. He's ascended to heaven and he is <laughs> coming again. He is coming again. He is righteous, right, and armed, and he will establish his kingdom of which there will be no end, uh, of which you and I will be a part of, and we will spend uh, eternity with Christ in victory, mm-hmm. in heaven. What a glorious future that that each and every one of us that has accepted that that invitation come and be clothed be a part of what god is doing be a part of god's kingdom leave your old life behind and enter into the eternal life that is found in in jesus christ what a glorious chapter what glorious promise what a glorious future god has in store for each and every one of us who has believed on Jesus Christ and has entered into eternal life. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your gift of salvation. And Lord, thank you for your willingness to suffer, to die, to bear our iniquities, and to win for us our salvation. Lord, we ask that you would just minister to us, help us, lead us, bless us, God. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. Amen.